Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35-bag umbrella and all that thing there, Keep it locked with this Dysonomics Podcast. Who are you? It doesn't matter who we are. Yo, yo, yo. Hello and welcome to the Hashtag Dysonomics Podcast. Episode 150. We've reached 150 episodes. Thank you for everyone who's been listening and supporting. Those especially from back in 2016 when I first started it. Um, even if you just joined today, you're equally as appreciated. Actually, I'm not tap the ones that were there before, more appreciate you. But God loves you, same way. Thank you for anyone who's listened, shared, you know what I mean, critiqued, mentioned in passing to my podcast. You're all equally appreciated. And this week, I want to talk about Corona and oil, but I want to divert your attention to the previous week's episode when I spoke about the leaked Labour document with Mansa Cam. Check that out. We speak about how. Labour officials essentially sabotaged MPs and the general election in total, in totality, as well as their ill treatment, especially regarding racism, with two black female MPs, um, Diane Abbott and Dawn Butler. So make sure you check that episode out. And we spoke about what should black people be potentially doing with their vote and how should we look at voting. And a week before that, I spoke in detail about why this Conservative government needs to be held for accounts into how they've handled coronavirus. That's episode 148, so check that out. But this week, I'm going to start off with a corona quarantine update. So, nothing too heavy. First, Boris is back. He's back, Kenny better. Like, he's back now. Um, he looks and sounds finished. He looks really unwell. He sounds really unwell. I think I even saw an article in passing that doctors expected him to die. Like, and you can kind of tell that it was serious. And it's funny, Boris, however many weeks out, got hit with a corona. He was actually surprisingly, not surprisingly, shockingly, in terms of not as a surprise, but just the fact that this is true, so much more better and adept at handling the questions from the media and um, the people compared to these other ministers. Only Rishi Sunak actually handles things correctly. The rest of them 
just come across as really poor and they've been getting slapped up left, right and centre by Piers Morgan and other people. So Boris is back and he's better. He announced that we're over the peak. And when he says we're over the peak, is that when you look at, um, if you look at daily deaths, um, they were rising uppers and uppers and uppers and uppers. And now they've started to calm down and down. So we've now started to see a consistent trend, not only in terms of the daily deaths, but also infections and especially people being admitted in hospital. So those numbers are coming down. So that's why he says, that's why he says we are past the peak. But there's still the government's five tests to go through, which include can the NHS cope? Have we patterned the logistical requirements? Are daily deaths going down? Are hospital missions going down? And so on and so forth before we come out of um, lockdown. Also, the communities minister announced 76 million additional funds available for people suffering. And these are vulnerable people. So we're talking people that suffer from domestic victims of domestic violence, um, vulnerable children and people subjected to modern day slavery. So more additional funding for those people. We don't know how that's going to manifest as of yet. Also, the big thing this week, the test capacity. Those may know that I've been quite sceptical on the government's um, claims that they're going to be testing 100,000 people when they said they were testing about 2,000 or something ridiculous. Um, this was what um, the Secretary of State and Health, um, Matt Hancock, said, I think it was April the 1st. These times we spoke to the diagnostics and the, the industry the day before for the first time properly. And <laughs> those are people that do the test, by the way. So it was kind of seemed like a bold claim. So their claim was 100,000 people being tested. And the White House, and the White House um, down the street tweeted that. Now, as the weeks went on, the language changed to 100,000 tests. And 100,000 tests per day doesn't mean you're testing 100,000 people per day. It just means you're running 100,000 tests. So maybe unless the correspondence in the initial sense, um, sense was, meant to be, was meant to read 100,000 tests per day, either way, the government didn't really reach its target, although they've been claiming to. So on Friday, Friday's presser, it was announced, yeah, we did 122,147 off the top of my head tests today. So we've we've reached our target. We're very proud of all the work we've done, this, that, and the third. Da, 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 da. Well, the real gist is, firstly, only 70,000 people were tested. Don't get me wrong, 70,000 is a massive number. It's 30,000 short though, yeah. And also, after 122,000 plus tests, the government claimed... 39,000 of those were tests that were sent out and that included about 27,000 tests sent out to people's homes directly so let's say mine your home we received a test we could take and the remaining 12 or so thousand were sent to various hospitals and NHS trusts and all that type of stuff so that doesn't mean that day you, you tested 122,000 people if you sent out 40,000 tests they haven't taken them yet they may not have even received them yet so how can you say it was of that number? So they're capping like crazy, propaganda, PR spin, but it was all well and good. Probably more importantly for a lot of my listeners, the IFS, so that's an independent think tank, names the Institute for Fiscal Studies, um, that's their full name, had a report um, regarding corona, um, COVID-19 um, issues and BAME. So... We've seen um, a lot of statistics regarding that ethnic minorities seem to be hit harder in terms of deaths and hospitalisation um, than white British people. And there's a lot of talk and, un and unrest within our communities, and actually so, as to why. And it wasn't making many of us, including myself, comfortable. So, 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 so this is some of the findings from the report. Once you adjust for different age agenda, 
and um, geography. So you adjust, you take into account where they are, you take into account their different ages and gender. So you try to make this as uh, equalised as possible. Black Caribbean deaths are 1.8 times higher than white British deaths. Pakistani deaths are 2.9 times higher than white British deaths. And more shockingly, black African deaths are 3.7 times more likely. So black African deaths are the most likely. This could be due, according to IFS, due to prevalence of some minority groups in key worker roles. So, well, and also while others have prevalence to long-term health conditions. So the IFS studies, they believe that this could be due to the fact that we're going to be more likely to be in key worker roles and we're also more likely to have longer health-term conditions. So, for example, one-third, so one in three, of working-age black Africans, so take all the black Africans that you know of that are between the ages of 16 and 65, and one in three of them are going to be are employed in the key worker roles 50% more than that, that same share of white British workers. So we're more likely to be in key, key roles. Also... If you also, if you talk about people working in healthcare, and this is one thing that me and Dr. Leo are trying to talk about, but people are really trying to listen, listen to us. Indian people, Indian, um, in, in, we're, talking, we're talking men here, yeah? Because remember, coronavirus seemingly has permanent men a lot more. We've seen 69% in China, 75% or 70% in Italy in terms of the deaths have been men. So if we look at men that work in healthcare, an Indian man is 125% more likely to work in healthcare than a white British man. A Pakistani man is 150% more likely to work in healthcare than a white British man. And a black African man is 300% more likely to work in healthcare than a white British man. So this is the initial findings so far. So that might give us more understanding as to why. And also, oh yeah, sorry, I almost missed something out. Two out of three Bangladeshi men over the age of 60 have long-term health conditions that will keep them at, that will make them more likely to be at risk. So these are some of the issues, and these are some of the metrics that give us some understanding potentially to be why we're seeing this trend. But of course, these are initial reports, so more is to be seen. So that's that for um, a corona update. You know I have to give the streets a corona update all the time. So now it's time to talk about oil. Do you have a high? What? Do you have a high? So this week I want to talk about why the price of oil went negative. You're thinking a negative price. That doesn't make sense. And if the price of oil is a negative, why aren't we getting free petrol while we go to Texaco or Shell or all them places there? And there's a reason for this. The price of oil refers to the spot price of a barrel of a benchmark crude oil. So if you see, if you probably heard something like $100 per barrel of oil, that's how we um, annotate and refer to prices of oil. When you think, what's going to impact the price of oil? There's two things. Sentiment between people engaged in the market and supply and demand. Supply and demand laws are pretty straightforward. If there's really low supply, that means it's rare, the price is going to go up. If there's if it's plentiful in supply, the price is going to go down. And demand, if it's something that everybody wants, like the brand new Yeezys, everybody's on them, or, or, or new Chanel trains, everybody on them, the price is high. But if it's something that people don't really want too much, 
the price is low. That's why you get sales because you drag the price down just to get it off your off your shelves. It doesn't quite work like that with oil, simply due to the nature of products that it is. And there's a thing called the oil future, oil future market, which actually sets the price of oil. Futures is essentially is a financial security, it's a contract that says, in five or so years, I agree that if the price of oil is X amount, um, no, I agree to buy the price of oil at X amount. Obviously, if the price of oil, yeah, so let's say the price of, I say, I'm, I'm going to buy 100 barrels of oil for £150 in five years. $150, should I say, in five years. If in five years, as an oil producer, the price of oil is actually $100 and the person's already agreed his contract, you're laughing. You, 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 you've locked in that price. You've locked in that profit margin. Do you see what I'm saying? And these contracts can be swapped, sold, and blah, blah, blah. And they're known as derivatives. And that's because they're derived from the underlying asset, which is oil. So depending on what has happened with the asset, the price of these contracts go up and down. I hope that's not too confusing. So essentially, a, a futures contract is a binding agreement that gives the right to purchase oil um, by the barrel at a predefined price for a predefined date in the future. Now, a lot of people that actually engage in purchasing and selling oil futures have absolutely no intention to ever possess barrels of oil. Because, as we're going to discuss longer, holding barrels of oil ain't like holding gold. It's a, it's a different ballgame. And there's two types of people who engage in these activities. There's the hedgers and the speculators. A hedger, that, that could be like an airline company, you could be buying oil futures to guard against um, price rising in the future. So let's say, for example, you bought um, 100 barrels of oil again at a price of $100 to mature in five years. Let's say in five years' time, the price of oil is now $200. You're nice. You don't need to be buying oil. You've already got this contract where you've got, do you know what I mean? So that enables you to hedge. And if it's higher, then you can sell it. There's also speculators. And according to um, the Chicago Index, um, future um, only 3% of future contract purchases actually take possession of the oil. So 97% of the market is speculating. So you're talking about traders, big investment banks and whatnot. Speculators have no intention of, of possessing the oil. They're just guessing or calculated guessing on what the price of oil would be and trying to make their flips out of it. As I said, oil is different from gold. You can't really buy it and physically hold on to oil. You can't pass down oil to your kids or give it to your wife as a gift or your husband as a gift you need a lot of storage for barrels of oil yeah and also you need to store it in a specific condition which we're going to get onto later oil and crude oil itself is not really that mad intrinsically valuable as it on its own it's more of what you can do with oil that makes it more valuable the like it's like a vehicle you can use it to turn into all types of things, like petrol, for example. And you could use it to produce in factories and all whatever have you may. Now, how has coronavirus and other untimely events led to what we saw as negative oil prices and currently low oil prices? You're thinking, negative? How is that possible? How could a price of oil per barrel be negative? So when a price... A price is... When most prices are positive, the vast majority of prices are positive. That means if I want to buy something from you, 
So let's say you're the listeners, you listeners are all selling me one cake each. If I want to buy a cake off you, I have to give you money to get that cake back. When the price is negative, I, you have to pay me to take the cakes off you. So that's different, and you don't really see that. We're going to talk about it. So what's been happening that's kind of put oil prices in the mud like this? First of all, travel's in the mud. We're seeing slashes in, in um, global travel. Like, we haven't seen... So many airports are shut all over the place. So many airport shots, people aren't flying, holidays cancelled left, France, and no. There's no Afro Nation, there's no South by Southwest Festival, there's no um, Rolling Loud. Do you know what I mean? There's so many events that abroad that some of us may have tickets for, we're unfortunately not able to go to. This is just part of the economical impact. So if travel's in the mud, people are locked down, so they're not driving, factories are closed, the demand for oil is also going to be in the mud because we're not going to, we're not, we don't need oil as much. We're not driving as much. We're not flying as much. We're not producing as much. We don't have factories open. So the demand for oil is in a gutter. So you have a massive, massive, massive plummet in the demand for oil. Also, storage for oil has reached its capacity. So there's no more, there's no other places you can store oil. Like, and it's difficult. So, like, imagine this. Imagine, yeah, you have a future contract, yeah? So, I've purchased the five... I've purchased 100, 100 barrels of oil for $100 a piece to expire in five years. So, imagine I did this five years ago, and they're now expiring now, yeah? It's quarantine. There's no demand for oil. Who wants to buy this? If there's no demand for oil, why would you want to buy this? Like, and you have, and you have nowhere to keep it. So, so difficult to the point where nobody's... The prices are plummeting because everybody's trying to offload the oil. Because nobody, like, we do know 500,000 barrels of oil. Absolutely nothing. So that's why we, that's one of the main reasons we saw prices negative. And also, to kind of give you more understanding about why something could be negative in terms of valuation, some things just aren't worth transacting. Sometimes some ladies relate, some boys aren't worth speaking to. Like, sometimes it gets like that. For example, a plastic plate, yeah. Let's say I had a plastic, I'm in a Nigerian hall party, wedding, yeah, yeah, whiskey, everything going on, jollof rice and that, and I sour on my plate. Once I've used that plate, I can't exactly go and sell it on the market. Who's going to want to buy a used, plate, used plastic plate with, with jollof rice stains? You'd be lucky to find someone to give you free, free pence for it. But even if you're able to sell free pence for it, just trying to find somebody, that whole, tra- all, that whole process and transaction is not worth free pence. It's not the opportunity cost that you're missing out on and potentially working longer hours getting paid or having fun or having a rest or sleeping is more valuable than that three pence. You could do something else. And this is how things can be perceived to have negative value. For example, garbage. Nobody wants garbage. But we have to get rid of garbage. Therefore, therefore, there is a garbage industry where people come to take your bins maybe every Wednesday, Thursday or Friday or whatnot these people get paid to take garbage and take it away from us and store it. That essentially is something of negative value. Garbage. Now, another reason is what was going on before with OPEC and Russia. OPEC, I may, you may have heard me speak about it. They're a group of oil-producing countries that come up to form a bad bitch link-up. Uh, countries such as Saudi Arabia, Nigeria's on it. And they essentially have a lot big influence on what the price of oil is because they set the production of how much oil they want to produce. Russia 
Well, another big player in the market. And historically, they've both been cool. Do you know what I mean? Like, we'll, we'll both do similar things, you know what I mean? Because it's mutually beneficial. But they're in discussions, things got a bit heated, things broke down. So they were both on a, all right, cool. So basically, between Saudi, basically Saudi and Russia had a, had a little falling out. And they basically tried to pam each other out of business. And they did that by trying to obtain market share by just dropping the price of oil, dropping the price of oil. And I mean, by supplying, supplying more and more and more oil, which which starts to drop the price of oil. Do you see what I'm saying? And also, when you, when you compare this to factory lockdowns, no planes, no commutes, we're talking about a massive drop in demand. Remember I said at the top of the podcast, when demand drops, so does price. A massive increase in supply. Remember again, when supply increases, price drops. You've seen a massive, massive, massive fall in the price of oil per barrel. And when you couple this with the fact that it's a good that you can't really use like that, it's not gold, and it's hard to store, psh, we're done out. It's so hard. So usually in these instances, let's say it's, I don't know, uh, the price of water is done out. People will be going to Costco, moving, moving like how they're moving for the tissues, buy a bell, going to Costco, buying a hella Kirkland. Slapping it in a garage, slapping it by the fridge or underneath your bed or whatnot. Because you know that you can just put it in the fridge later, or if you like at room temperature, just back it out and you've you've made some savings on your normal costs. You can't really do that well. Yeah, you may go to the gas station and fill a few canisters, but you can't just have barrels upon barrels of of petrol because companies, I mean, these OPEC and Russia and United States and everywhere, they're not producing petrol, they're producing barrels of crude oil. You have to then refine um, this oil, transform it into refined petrol. And petrol is very toxic. It's not, it's, not, it's not water. You can't just be storing hella barrels of petrol in your house. And also you have to store it in a certain condition. And if it's exposed to air, which it will be, it will spoil. So that's why we don't get paid to fill up. <laughs> Because we can't we we can't make use of um we can't convert crude oil into petrol and also we can't store petrol either. For example, even if the price of cotton was to become negative, doesn't mean Burberry and them are going to be giving us free drip. Because you still have they there's still a cost in manufacturing. Do you see what I'm saying? So that's why we ain't getting oil for free. People right now are paying other people, similar as how we pay maybe via the council. Um, People take our rubbish off us. People are paying people to take their crude oil off them. For example, all transport ships that are usually used just to transfer oil from one place to another are now being paid to just store oil and park up. And even ship shipping industry is one beneficiary because they're getting paid just to fill up their ships of oil and just park up. So anybody with capacity to, to store crude oil is currently winning. Obviously, prices have not gone up now, but in this era where, in this region where all prices are really, really low and are negative, the only real winners have been like the shipping industry and people know how to export um, and how to store. And also, if you're like an airline industry or any industry that um, oil is a quite significant cost, now some of your costs are gone down um, per unit because the price of oil is now cheaper. And obviously, Saudi Arabia and Russia have patched things up so the price of oil is higher. So, there you have it. Why? Although oil prices, how oil prices work, while oil prices don't really operate in the same manner as other um, commodities, 
and why, although oil prices went below zero, we weren't getting paid to fill up our tank. I hope you enjoyed. Any questions, at hello, um, hello at Dysonomics, or tweet me at underscore nomics, or you can use the hashtag, or hit me up on Insta at Pod or at Dysonomics, my personal page. And make sure you check out the last few digits, comes out every Thursday, and I drop um, coronavirus updates every day on my Instagram and on my Twitter. Apologies, I missed a couple of days last week because work is on my ass, so I didn't even have time to even watch the updates at all. But month ends over, hopefully I have my life back from Monday and events and these things will come to you regularly. But until then, peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.